Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The purpose of parables was twofold, to hide away truth from those who don't believe and to reveal truth to those who do believe. When we know the parables and we begin to search the parables, we're finding truth in them. But he wanted people who were casual seekers to not be able to discover the truth. You've got to dive in. If we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and helping guide us in wisdom and in truth, we are going to understand scripture that the casual seeker cannot understand. We want to dive into God's Word and understand all we can. Today on Practical Christian Living, we look at Jesus and His appointment with a great multitude. Some curious, some doubtful, many coming to seek the true Messiah they've been waiting for. With Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. We are in the middle of our Jesus series appointments where we look at different appointments that Jesus had with people. And I love this because I know there are times in my life when I have had unmistakable appointments with Him. And I believe that God is still doing that today. I often say that when I come to church, I want God to speak to me. I want to have an appointment with Him. I don't want to just come to church and come to church and come to church and come to church and not have anything really happen. Today we are looking at an appointment that He had with a great multitude or the great multitude appointment. It's in Mark chapter 4, and here we have Jesus by the Sea of Galilee and a great number of people surround him. So many that he gets out into a boat and he begins to teach them. And what we learn from this appointment is what would be more of the general public. These weren't disciples. The Sermon on the Mount, the disciples came to Jesus and Jesus taught them all the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. But these are just people who are Jewish who have been looking for the Messiah and they need to know what the truth is. And what Jesus shares with them is very important. And it maybe gives us an idea of how we share with people who are interested in Jesus, but don't know a whole lot. I think that that would be this great multitude. They're interested in him, they've gathered around, but they don't know a whole lot about him. So he talks to them about their hearts and making sure that they have a right heart to be able to receive from God. And then we see that he teaches them. And the first thing he teaches them is the parable of the four soils. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The parable of the four soils. It's early in the ministry of Jesus and the multitudes are following him. They're listening to his teachings. They're watching him. They're witnessing him healing people. There's a big buzz about Jesus going on throughout all of the Galilee, even beyond the Galilee. I think if it was happening during our day, we would have been part of that crowd. We would have wanted to go see this miracle worker and what it meant. And this one who taught like no one else teaches. There were so many unique things about Jesus. This is a large crowd that didn't know the gospel of the kingdom. So it doesn't surprise us when Jesus began to say to them, the kingdom of God is like. And he tells them several parables. We're only going to be covering one of them today. Jesus spoke different to crowds than he did to his disciples, as we already said. Now, Jesus tells this parable, and I want to break down this parable before we get into it, but he tells this parable, and we're going to read it, and he says that the parable is four soils that a farmer has. One is hard, one is rocky, one is weedy, and one is good. And seeds are scattered on these four different soils. And the seed, it says, 
is the word of God. And the seed is highly effective upon a heart that represents the good soil. And the seed is completely ineffective on a heart that is bad soil, on a heart that is hard. And so we're going to look at those different kinds of soil and we're going to examine ourselves to see where we might fit in and make sure that we have the right kind of soil for God's word to work in. The Bible says that God's word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it gets down in between the spirit and the soul. Who can even describe the difference between the spirit and the soul? God's word gets all the way in there. It is sharp. God's word, the Bible says, does not return back void. And if we meditate on it, we'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. And whatever we put our hands to, we will be successful in. The Bible says, search the scriptures like you're looking for gold or like you're looking for silver. I love that thought. Search the scriptures like you're on a treasure hunt. I mean, a real treasure hunt. Could you imagine if you were on a real treasure hunt? You found somewhere that there was some kind of gold that you might be able to go dig up or coins that were discovered just maybe, you know, 20 yards off of a beach and that you could go find coins yourself. Could you imagine how you would go after it? Well, the Bible says that what we find in the pages of Scripture is far greater than any coin that you could find. What we gain from the Scriptures is far greater than any treasure that is here on earth. So I want to, first of all, as we begin this, I want to reiterate my commitment to the Word of God. I want to know what God's Word says. I want to follow it. I want to believe it. I believe what God said. I want to apply it to my life. And I want to see God move in my life because I have committed myself to His Word. And I hope that you have that kind of a heart as well. So we pick it up in Mark 4, verse 1. And again, he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into the boat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on land facing the sea. I still think that this is just a great setting for a Bible study, that you are out on a boat and you're teaching people that are on the shore. I also like that it's kind of reversed. They had to be standing, Jesus was sitting. They're all standing around the shore. Jesus probably sitting in the boat. Who knows, he might've been standing in the boat, but I do love it. I don't know, I was thinking, I was wondering, if this wasn't the case when he told Peter, push your boat out a little bit from the shore, I want to teach. And he gets in the boat and Peter pushes the boat off a little bit and holds it there while Jesus teaches. And I've always said at that event, I wish I knew what he taught. I wish we had the study. It's more about him and his interaction with Peter than it is about his teaching. But here we have a teaching that is from a boat onto a shore. And what a great, what a great setting for a Bible study. And it says, then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, there went out one to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it scorched it because it had no root in it and it withered away and some seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some 30 fold 60 fold and a hundred fold and he said to them he who has ears let them hear the purpose of the parables 
And when he was alone with those around him, with the twelve, asked him about this parable, about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come by parables. And then he quotes an Old Testament passage. Seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now, that is the strangest thing, isn't it? Jesus says, I speak to them in parables, not because I want them to be revealed, but because I want them to be hidden. The purpose of parables was twofold, to hide away truth from those who don't believe and to reveal truth to those who do believe. When we know the parables and we begin to search the parables, we're finding truth in them. But he wanted people who were casual seekers to not be able to discover the truth. You've got to dive in. I've often said, you can't ho-hum your way into Christianity. You can't be like, I'm just so in love with Jesus. <laughs> and not really be passionate about God. There has to be a passion there. He has to have that highest point in our lives as we commit ourselves to him. Now also, this is at the point in his ministry when all the crowds followed him and the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the lawyers didn't believe no matter what. They saw the miracles that he did. They saw him heal a man with a withered hand. They saw him, they saw him raise up a man from the dead when they were in a funeral in Galilee. Jesus ran into a funeral procession and he raised this young man up. His mother was there, raised him up from the dead. They were face to face with these miracles, which you and I have talked about before, are the fulfillment of the Messiah's miracles from Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 tells us what kind of works the Messiah would be done, so much so that Jesus tells the disciples of John the Baptist, go back and tell John the Baptist what you've seen. The poor have the gospel preached to them, the blind see, the lame walk, because those were signs of the Messiah. He would do those kind of things. They had seen them. They had heard his teachings. They had tried to trap him and not been able to trap him. And so during one of his miracles, they finally said, he does miracles by Beelzebub, literally by the devil. He said, he does his miracles by the devil. And Jesus said, every sin that a man commits can be forgiven, but not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Hmm, that's always a question we want to know, right? What's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And have I committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I had someone come up to me years ago and said, you know, I just get, I just, something overcomes me and I curse God and, and I know I can't be saved now because I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, I don't know that you've done that because blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not just cursing God. It's not a good idea, all right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying just when you get mad, just go ahead and do it. I'm simply saying that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has to be put into context. It was in the context of these men that had seen all of the miracles. I've got to think, every one of you here in this room is here in church by choice. Some of you guys might have been drugged here, I understand. But you're pretty much here because you've chosen to be here. And I got to think that every one of you in this room, had you seen Jesus do a miracle like cleanse a leper, give a blind man sight, tell a paralytic, pick up your bed and walk, and he picked up his bed and walk, that you would say, I'm yours. You're the Messiah. What do you want me to do? I'll follow you. If you saw those miracles, you would respond to them, but not the scribes, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. 
These religious people didn't want to believe that he was the Messiah. They rejected him, even though the Holy Spirit was with him and the Holy Spirit was continually drawing them and revealing that he was the Messiah. And so they rejected, they rejected, they rejected, and Jesus said, enough, it's done. Now you can't be saved. They had gone to a place where they could not be saved. Is there a place where the Holy Spirit is drawing you, drawing you, drawing you, and you reject, and you reject, and you reject, and He reaches out to you, and He shows you His love, and you reject, and you reject, and you reject, until God goes, okay, fine. You've gone too far. That's what the unforgivable sin is. These men had gone too far. Now, that's frightening because we say, well, what if I've gone too far? We were talking about Hebrews chapter 6 in the green room before here where it says, for someone who's tasted of heavenly things and has received the Holy Spirit or partaken of the Holy Spirit, and it gives this list, and then they fall away, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. When I was a youth pastor, broken-hearted teenage girl came up to me after the youth group, and she had her Bible open to Hebrews 6, and with literal tears in her eyes, she said, I, I think I committed this. I don't think I could come back. And I said, do you want to? She goes, yeah, but I, I can't. I don't think I can. And I said, you got to read it again. It doesn't say once you've tasted of the heavenly gifts and partook of the Holy Spirit that you can never come back again. It doesn't say that. That's how you read it, but that's not what it says. It says it's impossible to renew them to repentance. So if she is repenting and wants to come back, then she hasn't done that. The person who has done that is the person who says, I don't want to come back. I used to follow him. I used to walk with him. I used to know him. I used to love him, but I don't want to come back. And you say, well, come back. The door's open for you. I don't want to. Well, then I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying they did because I'm not God. I can't look into their hearts, right? All I know is that they are a candidate for the person who commits the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They came face to face with the things of God, like the scribes and Pharisees who came face to face with Jesus, and then they rejected. And so Jesus says, I'm talking to them in parables so that they will hear, but they won't believe, because there were certain people that he wanted to put that barrier out. And I also believe he wanted us to dive in. You want to know what God's all about? You've got to be committed. You've got to pour into it. You've got to search the scriptures. The Bible says, search for him with all of your heart, and then he will be found by you. It's not casual seeking but it's saying, I really want to know who God is and what God's about. I think if you are half-hearted about it, then you won't find him. You have to really pour yourself into it. And so no wonder Jesus goes on now to explain the parable of the hearts or the soils. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then can you understand all the parables? In other words, this parable has a key, the way he interprets it, that helps us approach other parables. When we see Jesus telling parables and we don't have the explanation, we come back to how he handled this one and we want to handle parables the way that he did. How are you going to understand the parables if you don't understand this one, he says. He says the sower sows the word, the word of God. Again, all of the things are true about God's word. It's alive, it's active, it works in our hearts. It is inspired by God. It is God-breathed, is profitable for rebuke, correction, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. The sower goes out and sows the word of God. And these are the ones by the wayside. When the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. There are all kinds of people that make commitments to Christ. And some of them 
take off from the very beginning and they run well and there's evidence of fruit in their lives and they run to the end. Jesus said in Matthew 24, those who endure to the end will be saved. They are running well. But then there's some people that go for a while and they kind of flitter away. There's some people that go for a little longer and then all of a sudden they're not serving God. There's somebody that's really on fire for God. Just really, they're in church every time that it's open. They're, they're really, and then all of a sudden they're gone. It's like they just disappear. And then somebody tells me that they went back into the world. There are people maybe who walk for two or three years and they up in the, up in the world. Well, what's happening here? Why are there some people that commit their lives to Christ and immediately run the race and they run it well and there's others that fade away? Well, the parable of the sower helps us with what's going on. The word of God is sown into their heart. And if you've got a hard heart, you're hard towards the things of God. You are, a hard heart is an unbelieving heart. You don't believe, you don't wanna believe, you don't wanna receive. Faith is believing something God has said. And you say, I don't believe. I've heard people say, I can't believe. I don't know if you can believe or not. I've also heard people say, well, I'm just not built to live by faith. Well, that's not true. We live by faith every day. Every day we put our trust in people we don't know. I use the example of driving down the freeway. There's no barrier between you and the car next to you except a double yellow line. And you go 45 miles an hour one way and they're coming 45 miles an hour the other way. You just trust that they're paying attention. You trust that they're not going to come across the line at just the wrong time. That's faith. You make a point of believing. And when you don't believe, when you say, I, I just don't believe, you have made a decision not to believe. That's the decision that you have made. And that is a hard heart. And the seeds land on it and Satan just takes them away. It has no time to be able to land and to be able to begin to do a work inside of you. God's word works inside of you, but if you have a hard heart of unbelief, those seeds are going to land and you are not going to be able to receive God's word at all. Nothing's going to happen, even though you had a brush with eternity, even though you came right by what would give you eternal life because of your hard heart of unbelief. Your heart is not soft towards the things of God. In farming terms, the, it would be called fallow ground. Fallow ground is when the ground hasn't been broken up, the ground hasn't been plowed, the seeds fall on and it's just taken away. Some of you maybe here tonight have a fallow heart or maybe your heart's growing hard and you want the Word of God to be able to affect you. So you've got to break up that fallow ground. You've got to break up a heart that is hard. This is why some people can hear the Word of God and the Word of God doesn't work in them. The Bible says the Word of God works in the hearts of those who believe. Those who believe don't have a hard heart. So the Word of God doesn't work in them at all. The second kind of a heart is a stony heart. He says, likewise, these are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with gladness. This is unlike the hard heart. They immediately receive it. They're in fire. They're excited about it. But they have no root in themselves. So they endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation and persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. When tribulation and persecution arise, for the word's sake, because you're a Christian, immediately you're like, I thought this was going to be easier. I'm out of here. It's people who receive Jesus in what I call the self-help Jesus. And preachers are guilty of giving altar calls for the self-help Jesus. You having problems in your life now? You having troubles in your life now? You having difficulties in your life now? Give your life to Jesus. He's going to make all things better. 
Your life is going to be like a bowl of cherries. It's going to be like a bed of roses. There's not going to be any difficulties and struggles if you would just receive Jesus as your Savior today. He's there with all of His help. He's there with all of His blessings. He's there with everything that you need if you just give your life to Christ today. How many of you want to become Christians today? Boom, boom. I want that. God wants me rich. God wants me never to be sick. God wants me to never have difficulties. God wants me to never have hardships. And so they receive that Jesus. But that's not our Savior. Our Savior says, you want to be my disciple? You deny yourself. You pick up your cross and you follow me. And you rejoice in persecution. And behold, I tell you that times of trouble are going to come in this world. You will have trouble, but be of good be of a good heart. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. He's never promised us that we wouldn't face difficulties, our hardships, our tough times. They're out there and we are living sacrifices. And what we say to him when we invite him in is, Lord, I want to follow you. Not for what you can do for me, but what I want to be able to do for you. And you give me eternal life. And if God chooses to bless you, because God blesses all of us, if God chooses to bless us with any of those things we talked about before, hey, look, I'm not going to turn it away. I'm not going to, no, God, I don't want your blessing. I don't want any of the good things. Hey, I want God to work good in my life. I want God to, and that's why I pray for God to do good things, to protect the people I love. That's why I do those things. But I realize that tribulations are going to come. Hard times are going to come because it's not about me. It's about me being a living sacrifice. It's about you saying, Lord, here's my life. Use it for your glory. And if you are going to do that in storms, then here I am. I don't want it, but here I am. And if you're going to do it in good times, then here I am. Look, anybody can shine bright for Christ when times are good. But it's when times are tough that you say, I'm still following him and I still believe. I've known people when they have faced difficulties have left God. They walked away. They said, this isn't what I signed up for. If God's going to do that to me, then I'm gone. But I know a lot of people who have faced difficult, dark days and stood by their Savior knowing that there was no violation in what had been promised. Because Jesus says, I want to use you. Our lives are like a, like a vapor. They're here one moment and gone the next, and I want to use you. So what do you do if you have a stony heart? We walk across ground that's stony, and, and there's only little bitty plants that are around it because nothing can go deep because they're stony. And if the stones are, when tribulations and difficulties come, you turn away, you got to get the stones out of the ground. One of the first things that you do when you get a plot of land and you want to farm it Years ago, when they were giving 40 acres away to homesteaders, you could just go and, and claim your, your homestead, and then you had to clear the rocks out. And if you were one of the late homesteaders, then you just got an area with all rocks. And you just had a ton of work to do to get your land ready to farm. In Israel, there's a ton of rocks. And Israel is barely ever flat. The Jezreel Valley's flat. There's a couple other places that are flat, but everything else is on hills. So they terrace the hills. Then they collect stones, they build walls, and then they bring dirt into those walls and they flatten it out. And now they have a place to grow their crops all the way down hillsides. But they got a lot of work to do in clearing a lot of those rocks. And so are there rocks that are in your life that are keeping the word of God from going down deep? Are you thinking, you know what? I'm a believer. I should not have difficulties. I'm a believer. I shouldn't have, have hardships. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. My God owns all the cattle on all the hills. I shouldn't have any difficulties or hardships. Well, that's a stony heart. And sooner or later, the sun's going to come out. Sooner or later, the difficulties, the persecution, because of the word of God in your life. It's not just any random persecution. It's because of the word of God in your life. And then you give it up. You're like, this isn't what I signed up for. So if you have a stony heart, if you're identifying yourself today, 
it's time to make a new commitment. It's time to say to him, Lord, I am yours. Like Job, if you kill me tomorrow, I will serve you today. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.